You're listening to the Life After Gambling podcast, the show where we share real-life experiences, stories and insights of addiction and recovery. Join us as we speak to those who have walked this path before, delving deep into the many different experiences of recovery. Welcome to the Life After Gambling podcast. I'm Steve, and on today's show, we're joined by Ben. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No, the pleasure is all ours. Uh, It's really great that you can join us today. Um, The purpose of today's show is, again, hearing from yourself, Ben, um, and talking about your recovery. So thank you for joining us. Is the word recovery and in recovery something that you relate to and very conscious that people want we're quite we want people to use the words that are comfortable for them so how do you what sort of words do you use if you're talking about this yes for me i do use recovery um that's something as i would describe myself as is is being in recovery i know some people would describe themselves still as a gambling addict or you know they're that for life but I like to really separate that up as a success of actually I'm no longer actively gambling and I'm in recovery from a gambling addiction so yeah that's something that I use for myself brilliant thank you and I think that's really important the fact that you know we can all use the words that we want to use whether that's someone like you said who identifies as you know maybe a, a particular phrase you know, I think that's important. So, for, well, firstly, thank you for sharing that. Um, so you're someone who is, is in recovery. When did your recovery start? So my recovery started in August of 2020, and it was almost thrust upon myself that still at that time I was as disillusioned that I didn't have a problem. I'm going to get this big win. I'm going to solve all of my issues. So my gambling was a 14-year period um, which started off as just going into a casino at the age of 17. And fast forward 14 years later, I'd literally lost everything. Um, and part of that was um, committing fraud by abuse of position. Um, ultimately, I'd won a very large amount of money, which could have replaced all of the fraud and, you know, really, really got me out of a hole. And the day after winning that money, um, I, I'd lost the entire amount and lost a lot more money. And I thought to myself, I've got no escape. You know, if, if I can't walk away with, with this amount of money, if I can't see reason, um, I've got a problem here. I, I really do have a problem. So recovery started for me by handing myself into the police. That was the start of my recovery. I saw that as a, as a way out of gambling, of, of breaking the chains. So it's just it just how like that sort of all come about is, you know, really, really interesting that the fact that you have kind of come to that realisation after such a long period of time, had you tried to sort of access any support or maybe start your recovery prior to then? Or was that like the right, no, this is it moment? So that was definitely a this is it moment. I think before... Um, I did try and attempt recovery many, many times, but the the turning point was actually that this time it was for me. 
I wanted to do it. The many times before it was appeasing a partner, for example, who said, I think you may have a problem. Do you want to get help? So I did reach out to the National Gambling Helpline and had access to uh, localised counselling support. Um, sometimes I'd make excuses, not go, um, I'm working late, etc. But that's because I didn't feel it in myself during those times uh, when, I, when I attempted to start recovery. But my mindset at this point in time was I need to I need to stop this or it's literally going to kill me. You know, these were the two options I had. So, it was, yeah, I chose recovery, thankfully. And you mentioned there, like going to, to the police as right at the start of your your recovery. How you know, how were you feeling at that time? Absolutely petrified. Um, I undenied. I was thinking, do I do this? Do I not? I'd almost catastrophically thought of all the endings possible. You know, I'm going to lose the house. I'm going to lose my career. I'm going to lose my partner. And, you know, all of these worst case scenarios were going through my head. And it was, do I, don't I, do I? What are people going to think of me? The shame, the guilt, everything that's attached to it. And I just had to do it at a precise moment where my mindset was, this is the right thing to do. This is your get out. This is your escape. And I had that thought. And I just did it. I just handed myself in, which was nerve wracking. And naively, I've never been in trouble with the police in my life. So I thought to myself, I was going to walk in, get arrested there and then get sent you know, to a cell or, or, or taken away in remand or something. And that was it. And my experience was so different where they said, OK, thank you very much for letting us know. You can go. And I'm so lost coming out of there. I was lost, confused. Um, and I really didn't know the next steps to take. I thought, well, well what do I do now? What did you do now? <laughs> what, what happened <laughs> next? So that's really interesting because you've gone in there and like you've said, you've got that mindset of, no, this is the way forward. You've gone in there and also have kind of a predetermined outcome of, right, oh, this is what's going to happen to me. And the complete opposite has happened. And like you said, you kind of left there feeling lost. So what, how, what, what happened next? How yeah, it completely threw me because I thought that that was going to be clarity. I wouldn't have to face up to anyone. The police would then approach friends, family, work, etc., and say, actually, this is what's happened. Uh, Ben's handed himself in. But when they let me out, I thought, I've got to now go and explain all of this to people because at some point I will get arrested. There will be an investigation. There will be a court case. So, again, I drove around for, it must have been hours driving around thinking, how do I approach this? Went home, told my partner at the time exactly, you know, this is what's been happening, this is what's going on. They left, um, and, and we've sort of never spoken to this to this day. Told family and friends who were just completely shocked, you know, quite a lot of friends were horrified, and it reinforced this guilt, stigma, this not only self-loathing, but actually everyone hates me you know people were blocking me on social media the rejection and things and I thought right okay this is awful you know this is really really terrible um I declared myself bankrupt and lost where I was living as well as losing my career so on the Monday I'd started a new job and everything was great and literally by that Friday I'd lost everything so I was feeling pretty pretty low and I took the decision at that time as, as a form of escape to try and take my life twice right. just to really get into the the mindset of where I was at um that was due to the self 
self-hatred that I had for myself and not really understanding how I'd got myself into this position. I think that was a huge reality check of how have I got here? Because to that point, I was so disillusioned that everything was going to be okay and I'm going to get out of this. That was the narrative I was telling myself. So my whole world just fell apart, literally. And what sort of what happened in those sort of next steps? Is there, did you reach out for any additional support? Did you, I know you said there seems to be like that lack of awareness and understanding from those closest to you, but did you reach out to anyone sort of wider than that? Yeah, so I Googled um, sort of, you know, where can I get help, uh, you know, help and support? And the National Gambling Helpline came up. Um, so I made a call to the National Gambling Helpline and they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, the person that I spoke to on there really showed me empathy, understanding, said, that, you know, everything's going to be okay. They reassured me that right now you're going through a bit of a tough time, but you can achieve recovery, it's possible. I come off that call feeling a little bit elated, uh, but still still cautious of actually, you know, what am I going to do with life? Where do I turn? Within 24 hours following that, um, GamCare had provided me with a assessment call. Okay. And then 24 hours after that, I was having a one-to-one session in therapy. So from calling the National Gambling Helpline, 48 hours later, I'd had my assessment and having my first session with the most amazing practitioner, uh, what they call them at GamCare, took on a lot more than just my gambling. Um, yep. I was experiencing the magnitude of loss, financial difficulty, criminal justice, stress and anxiety, obviously high risk presenting as well of, you know, sort of suicidal ideations. Um, and they were just phenomenal, not only in the sessions, but out of session, emails, check-ins, calls, and referring on as well to other agencies. So you know, my doctor's surgery called me on a referral of the back of what GamCare had done. And I know I did give consent to that, just to, you know, welfare check, which then opened the pathway of medication, support. Do I need any more counselling? So, yeah, for making that one call, that was the first door in, into recovery for me. And during those sessions, did you go over things such as, like, barriers and blockers to sort of prevent you from gambling? And is that something that kind of you put in place as well? Yeah, so on the first session, we talked about uh, GamStop, um, Gamban, Moses, um, Factor, Casino Sense, Bingo Sense, because my whole board of gambling covered sort of everything, oh, okay. uh, which is why I thought, you know what? I always use the analogy, and this is what my uh, practitioner actually said to me. When you go to bed at night, you lock the doors and windows to keep everything out, and that's the way you need to do with gambling because you are so, so experiencing gambling related harm to a high level um you need to lock all the doors and windows and don't leave any cracks so that it can creep back in um and i did that immediately straight after that first call um i just logged onto everything blocked everything and put it all in place which massively helped because i had no way of physically gambling another bit of advice that they give me uh, just to sort of rule out on the on, on the you know the balance of it was to give my finances over to somebody else Right. So, you know, remove your ability to gamble, but also remove your access to gambling, um, which take away the money. And that really helped. That really helped. And that's something I don't overly have control of now. I do have a bank account, but other people manage and dip in 
but that keeps me safe on a on sort of a day to day basis. And is that like a conversation that you had to have with like a friend or a loved one for them to take control over your finances? Yeah, so it was with family, and they were more than happy at the time uh, to do it to keep me safe. I think they could see the fragile state I was in, um, and it was almost a plea of desperation, like take this from me. It wasn't a, it wasn't almost a can you. It was have that. I don't want it anymore. Um, I don't want any temptation. But they were more than willing to do it at the time. Oh, that's good. That's good. And you mentioned about the the sessions. How long? Or how many sort of sessions, how long did that last for? How long did they go on for? So I had 12 sessions. Um, and during those 12 sessions, I got access, like I said, to other support. We discussed everything from sort of the drama triangle, day-to-day -day life, how am I coping? How am I dealing with urges? Um, is there specific times within a day where I'm noticing a spike? What activities can I start to reincorporate into? So yeah, it really, really was sort of quite broad and I was nervous as the last session was sort of coming up to the end because I thought right okay now this is ending I'm going into the big wide world on my own uh, but that wasn't the case yeah that wasn't the case there's a couple of things actually what you've just said that it would be nice to pick up on so one thing and there was a number of things but I'm just going to touch on one of them was around how you would deal with urges is there any particular sort of technique that you adopted um to the sort of served you well yeah so mindfulness um is great you know getting out for a walk but not getting out for a walk and and uh, you know not being at one with what's around you know listen to the noises taking the colors really grounding yourself to focus on something else that massively helped me but not even have to be a walk you know just sitting there um doing yoga and something as simple as just loading up youtube uh, mindfulness technique, um, yoga routine, exercise, all those sort of things take me out of that thought process of I need to place a bet, I need to gamble. Um, and it really, really did work. I did think to myself that actually, you know, this is going to be all the time. These urges are going to be constant all the time. And actually, they're not. I was quite surprised that it was sort of peaks and troughs throughout the day. But yeah, having those on hand, fidget spinners. Um, things to squeeze, things like that really helped me as well, just, you know, to, dis to, to distract me. And and did those urges or have those urges sort of subsided? I know you said you started recovery 2020. So have those urges sort of subsided the more you've gone into your recovery? Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I could hand on heart say now that, you know, I don't this year probably haven't really had an urge to to gamble at all. But I think that's why it's so important early to listen to the advice and techniques that you get from, you know, sort of peers or professionals, because that gets ingrained. So that's part of now my daily routine um, of practicing mindfulness, doing a journal, doing a gratitude diary, a self-love diary, making sure I get enough exercise, et cetera, et cetera. So all these things are so ingrained in my day to day life now that that overpasses any urges. Um so yeah, I don't have any now, which is thankful for. Oh, nice. And that sounds like you've got a really sort of good routine, something that you've found has worked well for you, which I think is really, really helpful and really useful. Um, so let's go back to the end of that 12th session, if we can. And I know you said like you were a little bit sort of 
concerned being the last session a little bit worried and then you kind of finished by saying but I didn't need to be you know what what has happened maybe since that 12th session or what did you go on to sort of do next is there any additional support or what did that look like yeah, so Gamcare, uh, my practitioner Gamcare actually said to me, you know, um, there's a new project starting out. Um, it's a peer aid service being run through Bet No More. Is this something that you're interested in? And for me at that time, I thought, yeah, great. Do you know what? I'll give something a go. Um, I got the details for that. But actually, I sat on those details for about four months uh, because I thought to myself, do I want to be in a room full of other people in recovery talking about gambling, um, is that just going to send me backwards? So I didn't actually join a first meeting till sort of four months after I got the referral. And a big message that I can send to everyone is it was the best thing that I ever did. Actually being around like-minded individuals who had walked the walk, they're talking the talk, they're in recovery. It inspired that hope, that passion, and similar to me as well, it took away the stigma and the fact that I was the only one going through this. I was the only one dealing with this problem because, you know, suddenly I'm in a room full of people on Zoom who are not judging me. They are showing me true empathy. They're really saying, I can hear you. And each week, Monday and Thursday, when I was attending, you know, they would say, how are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm OK. And they would say, no, how are you really? You know, so I was answering to respond and that taught me to actually really open up be honest share how I was really feeling and in turn having that two hours or it's four hours uh, twice a week uh, just to have non-judgmental safe space and building up connection um, was life-changing for me yeah really life-changing and and do you think the fact that you had like-minded individuals in the room with you helped you to open up and share stuff I know you said like they'd ask you a couple of times because you said the first time you probably would just say yeah I'm okay which I think is a standard response for most of us right um, but do you think that kind of helped having all of the like-minded people in the room with you no absolutely I remember my first session so vividly um, and by the end of my first session with peer aid the group that was in I told them my entire story the criminal justice how I'd ended up where I was, how gambling had started. And my internal thought was everyone's going to be sort of, how could you do that? You're a horrible person. But the response I got was, oh, yeah, we know quite a lot of people actually that have been through the criminal justice system due to gambling. What support do you need? How can we help you through this? How are you feeling right now? So those responses to me, one, made me, as I say, feel really safe, but two, made me open up more because I know that people had walked the walk. There was one individual uh, part of that service who had been through the criminal justice system. And for me to sit there and look at them and go, wow, look at the job you're doing. Look at how far you've come. You've got a big smile on your face. You're happy. I can get there too. Um, so yeah, life-changing. Yeah, that's, that's inspirational, isn't it? it is that something you still do today? Do you still attend the, you know, those weekly meetings? Yes. So I now attend them as a peer, trained peer supporter. Um, so I, I attended them as a peer for 12 months religiously, uh, sort of twice a week. And then I was approached by the service manager there and said, would you like to become a peer supporter? Again, this was another life-changing moment for me. I come off that call absolutely crying because for the first time since I handed myself to the police, 
somebody had seen beyond me being in recovery. They'd seen beyond, you know, this label above, above my head. And it was, you can do great things. You can help other people. You can achieve what you want to achieve and saw me for me. So I did come off there, had a little cry. Uh, I was a little bit softy and yeah, fully accepted that, that role. Went through the training, which was absolutely fantastic. And yeah, very closely associated with Bet No More and Peer Aid. Um, I will facilitate those meetings. Um, and just seeing the progression in others grounds me in my recovery, seeing different people at different stages of recovery, you know, really reminds me of my past and where I've been, but not in a negative connotation. It's more of a, actually, you can get through this. I want to pass on that sort of ripple effect, what was passed on to me. So yeah, I really, really enjoy them. Um, my time doesn't allow me to join twice a week now because I'm so busy. Um, but I very regular, at least once a week, we'll get on. And from that as well, we've built up a community of, you know, we meet up two, three times a year. We will all go out for a meal. And it just brings people out of isolation, brings people together, forges friendships. And you just know that someone's got your back. And I just think that service is, it is fantastic. Oh, that's brilliant. And that's online, is it? Yeah, online. Yeah. Um, yeah, online, Mondays and Thursdays, sort of twice twice a week. Brilliant. And I know you mentioned there, like, you could only attend once a week because you're so busy. What 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 else are you doing in your recovery? What else is going on? You know, why is Ben so busy? So I literally went from this person who was lost, had no idea what I was doing, uh, joined peer aid, and then boom. So I went out and thought to myself, I can potentially make a career out of this. Um, you know, I can I can see an opportunity to help so many others, but I didn't know what that looked like. So yeah, I sort of infiltrated everywhere I could, forge connections uh, with people like yourself. Um, and through that, I've trained to become a recovery coach with uh, Reframe Coaching, which is, again, absolutely fantastic for the Life After Gambling programme. I applied to be on the Lived Experience Council for Gambler Aware, so they are the strategic commissioner uh, for Great Britain for all services uh, and providers of, sort of education, treatment uh, and support and research. And I got the chairmanship of that, and that's looking at things nationally for Gambler Aware at a strategic level. Um, and on the back of that as well, I launched their stigma campaign at Parliament, which you know was a huge moment to be invited down to do that as well as getting involved in other sort of public speaking and talk. So really, really proud of, of that position. Um, I'm part of many research panels and projects at the moment. I'm doing an LGBTQ plus uh, links to gambling related harm and just about to start on uh, a probation service, chairing the lived experience committee um, research. So looking at that. So yeah, my time is Busy. Taken away, <laughs> and I mean, I think you just, just briefly touched on it from you know from our side at Reframe Coaching. We're delighted to have you as a recovery coach, and you know the work that you've been doing for us is amazing, and I know it's helping a lot of people. So, you know, very quickly, thank you for that. Um, no, and it, and and you know, thank you for the opportunity. It's amazing. Again, it's those where people can see you and what you can do for others, like the help that you can provide. Um, and, you know, the investment that you put into Recovery Coaches as Reframe in terms of the training with Recovery Coach Academy is second to none. And that really, really gets you in a good position to, to get out there 
as well as providing sort of supervision, clinical supervisions, you know, all these things that just make you feel safe, secure. Again, with yourself, you've always got someone. If I'm struggling or need help, I can give you a call, always there. Um, and the programme itself, you know, from the portal to the delivery is absolutely fantastic. So it's a credit to you. Oh, well. brilliant. No, thank you. Really, yeah, really nice words. And that wasn't plugged and planned at all. So thank you. No, it actually wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it sounds like, you know, you are really, really busy. How, you know, that's great. And how is that having an impact on your recovery? Are there times where you've actually having to say, I've got so much going on. I know you mentioned earlier on on the show about, you know, your non-negotiables, if you like, you know, your mindfulness, your gratitude journal, that type of stuff. Is there times where that becomes even more prevalent because you are so busy with different things? Yeah, so it can become strained at times. So I'm very routined and I plan. Um, but sometimes I have to move the goalpost. You know, if my day is really, really long, I will probably do something at 10 o'clock at night because that's really important to me. And I think the minute we fall into complacency, um, that's where things can start to go wrong. So regardless of what my day looks like or how busy I am, the fundamentals and cores of everything are always there. So I'll ensure that that's done. Um, and in terms of sort of juggling all these different roles and wearing all these different hats, um, it's an opportunity to learn. So I always say, you know, what's the teachable moment right now? What can we take from this what can I gain I don't like to look at problems I like to look at solutions and in fact what this is doing for me now is you know valuable training insights development for me which is only going to stand me in good stead in the future so you know it's building up that resilience it's making me a better character it's making me more empathetic I think I'm an empathetic person anyway um, but actually yeah I'm really mastering the art of that I would say to I don't say so myself. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's self-awareness is obviously key, isn't it? So that's brilliant. Well, one thing you mentioned there, Ben, is like your, you know, the core things for you, those those must-haves. What what you know what are they? So what what are your you know non-negotiables? What do you have to do as part of your routine to help with your sort of self-care? So for me, I'm always working on a goal, um, and there will be one big long-term goal, and I break it down. So at the end of the day, before I go to bed, I will go, how have I contributed towards that goal today? You know, how have I put a step forward? Sometimes it's okay for me to have a self-reflection when I do a journal every night and go, I haven't moved forward, but I haven't gone back. So I've just paused. I've, I've just stood still today, but that's okay too, yeah. um, because I haven't gone back. So I've always got a goal that I'm working on, journaling, three positive things. The gratitude diary gets done before bed as well, because too much we can focus on the negatives of the day and that can outweigh and change our mindset so if we just focus on three positives of the day then you know that that's where our our mindset gets shifted to self-love diary is great um we can you know be our own worst critics but we can find three things that we love about ourselves um i've managed to do it and i'm not egotistical at all um but i've managed to do it now for 12 months at the start it's quite difficult because you read it back and you think I'm not I'm not used to I'm not used to saying these nice things to myself but that's helped me gain confidence yeah that's really helped me gain confidence and just not being so hard on myself yeah not being hard on myself every morning when I get up I will do the mind the mindfulness um so that that's included and exercise as well so you know 
quite a lot of these things um, were implemented to me. One, yourself doing the mindfulness course was great. But two, I went through the Epic Restart Foundation program. Um, and that was phenomenal. One, for building up connection. Two, skills and development. But three, um, really implementing what I'd learned. So they run a great work workshop, which basically in a nutshell is, um, you know, eight one uh, percent of your day is eight minutes and that's how you can build new habits you know and, and put them into place so for me this started over a year ago of i need to drink more water i need to get more exercise etc so it started off with eight minutes a day let's take exercise for example i've now got a personal trainer which i'm doing twice a week i've got an exercise routine i'm drinking at least minimum three liters of water a day um, and that all started from eight minutes you know and having that grounded grounded in so yeah another great charity and organization that are doing great work in sort of their aftercare oh brilliant no you know thank you for for sharing that so what is so you've your recovery's three three years now what yes. is the one thing that you've found in your recovery that has made the biggest impact to you to me it's connection with like-minded individuals. That's probably the biggest thing for me because I wouldn't be where I am now without forging those connections. So I think back to everything I've spoken about in terms of, you know, peer aid and that hope. So from that, I trained to be a counsellor. So I've got one year to go to qualify as a counsellor. So that forged connections in sort of, you know, doing the level two, level three and first year level four. Um, connections in the recovery space you know is absolutely massive i know now i've got a phone contact book full of people who if i picked up the phone and said i need a bit of help i'm not sure about this they would help straight away so to me that's been invaluable to say well not to say but to push me along um, on my journey i wouldn't have been able to do it without everyone that i've met who gave me that bit of hope and that can-do attitude yeah, that's amazing. I think finding your, you know, finding your tribe, finding the people that support you, I, I think is, you know, so, so fundamental and really, really does help. But on that, I, I do want to ask, have you had any situations, circumstances, experiences where you've connected maybe with the wrong people? Obviously, I don't want you to name people, but like, negative experiences and how sort of you've dealt with that within recovery yeah so i try not to look at anything in a negative way <laughs> yeah. um and i don't ever look at myself as failing or things like that i always say failing or fail stands for first attempt in learning so i always as i said look for the what's the learning opportunity here how can i develop i have forged connections um you know i got into a relationship um in recovery and that was quite a big thing for me. But actually, in turn, that turned out to be, I wasn't an equal in that. I felt lesser of a person because of my past, what, I, you know, what I'd done, um, my potential future of, of maybe going into prison. Um, so that wasn't right. But I clung on to it because it was a bit of a tension. And I was used to so much rejection. So from that, I just learned self-worth um, and self-belief is, you know, much more important than what anyone else can give me. Yeah. Um, that shifted me from a people pleaser sort of mindset. Um, other connections that I forged is, you know, people that actively 
still are gambling and I know that they aren't going to bring anything positive to my recovery. So I had to sort of cut them off, which was not a nice thing to do. But again, it just taught me the importance of me and how much recovery is important to my life. So, yeah, I think times can be hard and you have to have a lot of reflection on, you know, is this a meaningful connection? How much money am I depositing into the emotional bank account and how much are other people withdrawing and what am I getting back? Um, so, yeah, I do actually do a thing called a roll compass every Sunday. And I look at myself as more than somebody in recovery. I am a brother, a son, a grandson, um, a friend, a peer supporter. And actually, I, I, I work out where I'm not giving to people and where people are not giving to me. And that will then formulate my week to go, okay, maybe I need to call my nan this week. Maybe I need to call my dad and catch up, etc. So, yeah, that's how I keep meaningful connections, I guess. Yeah, and I think there's something really nice about what you've just said there about who I am because, you know, personally, I think in society we're really quick to label people and I think it can be really helpful in certain circumstances, but they can also be quite restrictive. So you get labelled as, we've talked about at the very start, like you get labelled as someone in recovery, but you forget about all of the other labels that you also hold. You know, like like you said, I'm a human being. I'm a person. You know, I'm. You know, whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? There's so many di different. There's so much more to us, and I think this is another one of the reasons why we're really keen to sort of do this podcast to to show that yes, of course, we'll talk about recovery and the various aspects of recovery, but also there's a human being on. You know, two human beings on the show. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's really nice what you've just said there. Thank you. And what is one thing that you've learned about yourself through recovery? So maybe something that, you know, maybe you didn't know prior, um, you've entered into recovery and all of a sudden this is, well, I didn't know that about me or didn't know that ha that existed. For me, I, I honestly had like this epiphany and this is only quite recent actually, you know, just how much of a driven individual I am. Um, you know, I am determined if I want something, I'm, I'm going to go and get it. Um, that's something I've learned recently. But I guess about myself as well is that actually I'm not a horrible person. So when I, at the start of recovery for me, um, there was a lot of that, that self-hatred, that, that self-talk to myself telling me, actually, you're evil, you're horrible, because that's what people around me were telling me. But as I've sort of worked on myself and explored that further, yeah, I've just come to the conclusion that actually I am a really nice guy. I am a lovely person. I'm very friendly. I'm helpful. I'll go to the end of the world for anybody in dire need. And actually gambling made me do some not very nice things. Um, but that wasn't me. You know, yeah. that, was, that was a change. So, yeah, the biggest thing is self-love um, and actually... I'm a nice guy. I'm, you know, I'm not what gambling made me. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so really nice to hear. And I think there's one thing like, you know, challenging those limiting beliefs. 
because I think, you know, like you've said, people were telling me I'm not a nice person, I'm not a nice person. We kind of see that as that limiting belief and and people saying it kind of reinforces it. So I think this is where like the connection thing comes in, doesn't it? And seeing the work that you're doing and challenging those limiting beliefs, like actually, do you know what? I'm a lot more than that. I'm worth a lot more than that. I'm a lot more, be you know, I'm better than that. It's just again, once we challenge those limiting beliefs, we start to then create new ones and and the ones that actually serve a purpose and i think you've just highlighted that beautifully really really well um and that kind of learning more about you there ben kind of brings us on to the next part of the show which is kind of our sort of this or that round which what we wanted to do is just to create again learning more about you something maybe a little bit little bit silly but we are human so i'm gonna share two opposites or two different options and you're going to select one um, and we'll see how we go. So the first one is pasta or pizza? Pizza, always. And what topping? Pepperoni, meat feast for me. I'm Sorry to the vegans out there, but... <laughs> this is it. You, you're you sharing your opinion. It's fine. You share what you like. I'm with you on the meat feast, by the way. Um, savory or sweet? Savory. Definitely. If I had the choice of cakes, get me get me in a in a pasty shop, pork pie, <laughs> cheese and bacon turnovers. Honestly, the lot. Uh, I'm gonna kill his heel. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. If we're ever out for a family meal and we go for the two courses, I'll always go starter and main. Where you know, I think my daughter would always go main and dessert. So I'm much more the savory savory side as well. Um, summer or winter? Oh, now that's a question. Winter, which is going to be bizarre to most people. But for me, I can throw on a baggy jumper. I haven't got to worry about if I've eaten too much of my savoury snacks. <laughs> uh, so I, I can literally sort of cover myself over. And it's just nice and cosy. You've linked that in really well there, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> um, vacation or staycation? Oh, vacation. I haven't been on one since 2016, so it's up there. I would always say uh, sort of vacation. Yeah. But staycations have happened recently, but it's on the agenda for next year. Nice. And the night and the you know favorite place have you you've been to? What's the nicest? Oh gosh, it has to probably be Texas. Oh, I've got wow. family. I've got family that live over in Texas, and I was blown away by my expectation of Texas was saloons, cowboy hats. You know, really, really this preconceived idea but no yeah it was just amazing that sounds good sunrise or sunset sunset on the beach yeah best feeling apple or android oh apple <laughs> <laughs> absolute apple i can't use anything but it's funny isn't it once you once you get really familiar with a piece of tech trying to switch it's hard isn't it it's difficult um yeah, family have um family have other phones and they're like can you sort this i'm like no I've no that's like an alien thing to me yeah i've <laughs> got no idea um a bit more deeper now this one being known as a kind person or being known as a resourceful person oh i would say oh, kind person yeah i'd say kind person i'm very resourceful I must admit, I'm very resourceful, but I think people can be resourceful and not very nice. So it's best better to be kind and then resourceful. 
Okay. Um, being better at writing or being better at speaking? Well, I'll let the listeners of this be the judge of that. I would say speaking, yeah. I'd say I'm better at articulating things and writing down. And then the final one, would you rather be at the forefront or would you rather be helping in the background? Oh, oh, forefront. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely up there as a, as a leader. Every job I've ever had, I've ended up becoming the manager of somewhere in a, in a very short space of time. So I think it's ingrained in me. Hence the chairperson. Absolutely, yeah, straight yeah, to the top. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, elected but... to that position. I must uh, put on record. <laughs> yeah, but again, people can see that in you. Do you know what I mean? It's, I think that's and that shines through. So that's the last one so thank you for for doing that again just wanted to bring a bit more light-hearted a bit more about you um to show you know that we are obviously human beings and then finally you know we've got one final message and the final question is what would you like to say to the younger version of ben maybe the version of Ben, and this is up to you how you want to do it. So it could be the younger version of Ben as a child. It could be the younger version of Ben who is still gambling. It could be the younger version of Ben who has maybe started recovery. But what message would you like to, to say to that version of Ben? I would say don't keep things to yourself. Speak out. Be honest about how you're feeling and just get support. Yeah, just get it just gets support. I've always kept things to myself. I've always been very much a um, everything's okay. Yeah, everything's okay. When deep down it's really, really hasn't been okay. And the first time where I've been honest, open, and reached out for help, you can see the like, you know, how much my life has changed in doing that. So and I would go from a child because I used to weigh 21 stone, believe it or not, and that came from childhood um overeating. And then there was an eating disorder the other way, um, sort of bulimia, to lose the weight, and then alcohol and drugs, and then gambling. So there's always been something which underlying is me suppressing, not talking, not opening up. And it's been one thing to the other. And I can hand on heart say, from opening up, speaking out and talking, I'm living a, a life free from any unhealthy sort of addictions. So that would be the biggest advice yet to my younger self. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, look, thank you for, for coming on the show and sharing, you know, your experience of, of being in recovery. Um, it, I found it really inspirational and I'm pretty sure our, you know, listeners and, you know, people watching will find it equally. What we're going to do is we'll drop in the show notes, a link to all of the organizations that you've that you've mentioned um and we'll also link to some of the activities that you you've also mentioned as as well so people can if they want to check it out they can go and maybe try some of the stuff that you know that you've you've done in your recovery ben so again once again thank you so much for coming on the show obviously we wish you you know all the continued success that you're that you're having and and hopefully your recovery continues in the same vein mate so yeah thank you no, amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Life After Gambling podcast. 
keep up to date with all the latest by connecting with us at reframecoaching.org.uk. Join us again next time as we bring you more real-life experiences of recovery.